Right, is everyone ready to kick off? All the judges ready to kick off? Um, I'm just I'm just wondering if there's any literific people that want to come in, but I'm sure if they want to come in, they probably... Oh, did she leave? No, it was in my eye. Yeah, some meeting or something yeah, online. Jelly. No, it's okay. Well, it's nice and cosy in here with just us, so we'll just, <laughs> we'll just get going. <laughs> Okay, so big final. The winner of this will be going through to Scotland and Northern Ireland in probably around February time. Very nice little trip away for the Northern Irish schools. All the Scottish schools had to get the train and it's all boring for them. We get to get on a plane. Very exciting. Um, so yes, that's what you have to look forward to. Um, and the motion for the House is the television licence fee should be abolished. Um, speaking for the motion, we have Royal School Armagh. Speaking first is Callum, and speaking second is Simon. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Callum Weir. Uh, I'm currently studying politics, history and English literature with the hopes of doing classical studies in university. Uh, I'm interested in music and literature with specific focus on uh, Irish folk music and the poems of Seamus Heaney, respectively. It is. Um, and, yeah. Um, I'm Simon. Um, I'm currently studying Lit, Geography and Sociology, and I hope to study Economics at University. Um, I don't really do a lot else, but I'm goalkeeper for the first 15 hockey team, and I'm also vice-captain of the third rugby team. And uh, as a little side note, Laura's added in here. Unfortunately, I will never be as fabulous as her. So, <laughs> that's <laughs> that. Well, do welcome again to Roll Storm, man. Good luck. Cross and Passion speaking against the motion. Uh, speaking first is Sorsha Hughes. Sorsha, just introduce yourself. I'm Sorsha Hughes. I'm head girl in Cross and Passion College. I study English literature, uh, drama, and theatre studies, and health and social care. I have a particular passion for Irish traditional music and musical theatre, and I hope to study global change management in Holland. In Holland? Yeah. Whereabouts? Finishing. It's in Spain. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I love them dressed in bags. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm Colin. Can you talk Holland? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Colin. I'm the head boy of Cross and Passion College. I study English literature, history and religious studies. And I want to study law, but not in Holland. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Well, good enough for me. Right. Okay. Well, big welcome to Cross and Passion as well. Good luck. And you all know our wonderful judges, I've introduced them all already with their impressive bios, but again we've got Sinead, Robbie and Joanna joining us to give the team some grilling. Um, but yeah, I think we should just kick off um, and get rid of these nerves. So we're going to start first with speaking for the motion for Royal School of Matt. Three minute speech, I'm going to knock on the table at 30 seconds. Um, so whenever you're ready, Calm. Thank you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen... We firmly believe that the BBC licence fee should be abolished. We define this as total abolition of the fee imposed on anyone that owns a connected TV. The fee stunts our ability to choose what content is deserving of our money, as my partner will outline, and has less cultural value than you may think. Firstly, we must pose the question, what is the point of the BBC? The six public purposes are the BBC's own answer to this question, which were set up in the 1930s and really has no bearing on our society today. Uh, Here, promotion of education and cultural unity are stressed at the fore of the BBC's beliefs. Let's start with the promotion of education. This is not a necessary core belief in 2015. The word here is globalisation. We live in an information age where there is no need for televised education. There is a greater amount of information 
more readily available online. And whatever educational or artistic work that is duly, uh, waste, is duly wasted, as was the case with the BBC website, The Space, which spent $3.6 million on eccentric digital th- films and Syrian puppet art. As for cultural unity, does our opposition really believe that countries without public broadcasting systems lack a cultural unity that we have? I mean, I must admit that it could be hard to call a United Kingdom that narrowly avoided Scottish independence last year culturally unified. On this point, the BBC runs BBC Radio Asia, for those of Asian origins. While this may, in some vague sense, uh, unify Asians, it stunts social assimilations for all Britons and is contradicting to the claims made in the six points. Perhaps this is due to the outdated, outdated nature of the principles in the BBC. My opposition would have you believe that if we were to make the BBC a commercial organisation, it would somehow evolve into a channel that lacks anything that caters to its niche markets. These include horticultural programmes or history documentaries as two examples. Uh, For both, however, there are alternatives. If you are in search of a history documentary, the Yesterday channel provides a commercially successful uh, basis for this. As for horticultural items, uh, the aforementioned internet is always on hand. Therefore, the idea that we would lose these programmes if the BBC uh, was to be privately run is absurd. Therefore, as a proposition, we propose that you should not pay for TV that is unnecessary, overexpensive and outdated in principle. Therefore, I urge you all vote proposition. Thank you. Well done, Callum. Okay, so first speaker speaking against the motion is Sorsha. Madam Chairman, esteemed judges, members of the proposition, members of the House. The proposition have clearly attempted to dupe the House this evening with half-truths and scare tactics, and before I proceed, I must establish some balance. Mr Weir, unfortunately you are guilty this evening of an error in your notion that the licence fee, and therefore the BBC itself, have no cultural relevance and that there is no need for televised education. I disagree. I think that we all know any sick days we may have had as a child were spent watching documentaries or even more subtly educational programmes. Instead of taking this motion as licence, pardon the pun, to rail against the lack of cultural appropriateness of the BBC, we should instead look at what the institution stands for, as Mr Weir attempted to do. You would have us believe that the BBC is nothing, or the TV is nothing more than the box that sits in the corner of our living room. But this is not the truth. It is a lens through which we see the world with clarity, objectivity and certainty. At 90 years old, it is the world's oldest broadcasting service. As the Director of Policy at the BBC, James Heath, said, few other countries are in better creative shape than the UK. Britain's competitive position has not come about by accident, but is, at least in part, due to this country's vision and foresight in creating institutions like the BBC. 50% of the countries in Asia and Africa and two-thirds of the countries in Europe have used television licences to fund public television. But money isn't the problem, ladies and gentlemen, despite Tory MP John Whittingdale's comparison of the licence fee to the poll tax. Poland decreased their licence fee to a third of the UK's and evasion rates rose. In 2014, eight out of every ten of us said that we were satisfied with the BBC, providing trustworthy news and high-quality, essential programmes. And we were right to. 
A 2012 report from a cross-party committee of MPs claims that the licence fee has no longer long-term future, lobbying instead for a household levy. In Germany, a broadcasting levy was recently introduced and the main benefit beneficiaries were, wait for it, the regional government themselves. Perhaps this explains Parliament's votes to decriminalise the licence fee. This is going to be death by a thousand cuts, Madam Chairperson. If we abolish the licence tax fee, then we abolish the BBC itself. The BBC is the people's broadcaster. It is sustained by the life of the licence fee. And this is a life worth saving. Thank you. Well done. Okay, strong starts from both sides. We're now going to move on to the second speaker from Royal School speaking for the motion. Simon, however you're ready. Good. That's good teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to start off with a joke. I could tell you that a ridiculous 6% of our population are dragged through the courts every single year to avoid the, sorry, drag through the courts to experience the joys of whether deciding that their licence fee is actually meant to be paid or not. But in reality, and I hate to break it to source about these death by a thousand tiny cuts, it's actually 12%. The fact remains that the BBC, rather than being this wonderful cultural and enriching experience that it is, has instead moved away from this idea of doing what's good for the nation and has instead moved into doing what's better for their pockets. In fact, the amount of prosecutions for avoiding TV licence fee has risen 300% over the past three years, and I doubt that your 80% satisfactory rate from the people in 2013, I think it was, Miss Hughes, you said, I doubt that still stands today for the majority of people who are being hunted down vociferously for this. I'd also like to move on and say that about 70%, that's 126,000 people, who are convicted every year of this, only, sorry, obviously 70% of these people are actually earning minimum wage or less. So what we have here is we have a licence fee that costs £145.50. And this cult, idea of cultural unity is the main thing that BBC focus around nowadays, with Britain being ever more diverse in culture. But why is it then that we're bringing 126,000 people every year through the courts that can't actually afford to pay this fee? Oh, and it gets a lot better. If you can't afford to pay this fee, you're then going to be charged between £800 and £1,000. So if you can't afford £145... How may I ask the floor and the judges, are you expected to pay this massive amount? In a sense, this is a big division in our society. This is not cultural unity. This is cultural imperialism, the middle-class bureaucracy. I'd also like to point out that the BBC, while it is this wonderful cultural entity, is no longer acting for us in any way. In fact, £60 million was spent in severance packages to top BBC officials. That roughly equates to 412,000 licence fees which more than covers the 180,000 people that are, first of all, brought to court every single year. Now, I don't want to get caught up on all these court cases, so instead I'll move on and I'll go on and talk about the, the sporting side of things. The BBC for decades was renowned as being one of the few channels to actually offer sports to the widespread majority. And recently we've seen it lose the Premier League, the UEFA Cup Championships. It's also lost all of, well, nearly all of Formula One. That's going in a couple of years. And also now, Discovery Communications, which run Eurosport, have gained the rights for Europe for the next four Olympics, which means that in 2022, the BBC will no longer be allowed to, to effectively view and send out to millions of people around the globe the Olympics. And also I ask you, if this is just a tragic shame for the BBC, then why are all of the other advertising-based um, players in the market able to provide such a service 
why are we paying for this when it can be funded by corporate fat cats instead of hitting the people hardest who are on the breadline anyway? Thank you for your time. Very good. I'm closing off the speeches for Across and Passion. We've got Cranwell. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't buy much for 39p. Yet for less than the price than two Freddos a day, we can access the world's best TV and radio. Let's be serious. When we abolish the licence fee, we abolish the BBC. Now, Mr Brown, you talked about the 6% of the population who are being dragged through the courts. That 6% means that 94% are on the side of the opposition tonight because they willingly pay the licence fee. The average fine through the courts is actually £178, not the £800 to £1,000. Subscription and advertising are not viable options in an already saturated broadcasting market. The question of abolishing the licence fee is actually a question about abolishing access. A quarter of a billion people tune in around the world to the BBC every week, six times more than the worldwide subscription of Netflix. That means that one person in every 28 people in the world uses the BBC every week. Mr Weir, you suggested subscription, talking about the Yesterday channel and all uh, those kind of history channels. When we need them, we should pay for them. In order to maintain the current level of funding for the BBC, the Financial Times reports that 43% of the population would have to pay £24 per month. That's double the current licence fee. There's no obligation with subscription, so it won't be paid. An off-commissioned report stated that with subscription, the usage of the BBC would fall from 90%, 97% to next to nothing. But I suppose it would still be higher than the 0.06% who currently use Netflix. We pay a licence fee to ensure access to everyone. A subscription would discriminate in its access to our population. Mr Brown suggested advertising, the ITV or Channel 4 model in uh, other terms. To the naked eye, advertising seems like a sensible option. But politicians would love this. The Conservative MPs who don't pay their TV licence fee would love this because they would be able to buy influence in our public service broadcasters. They will be able to speak unchallenged, leading to a misinformed, disinformed and uninformed population. Furthermore, the quality of TV and radio will go down across the board as businesses ration smaller and smaller amounts to each provider. This will not be good for our society. Ladies and gentlemen, the television licence fee should not and must not be abolished. Thank you. Okay, great speeches from everyone. Whenever I raised this motion in my staff room today, the biggest argument that came up was, but what about the Great British Bake Off? <laughs> so I'm glad that the standard is much higher here this evening. Um, we're now going to go on to the judges' questions. Uh, firstly, for Royal Scholar Mass, cross passion, you can take a bit of a breather. I'm going to do like we've done in previous rounds, take all three questions, then you can come back to them in any order you like. So we'll start with Sinead. Um, my question is, in terms of advertising, um, 
how is it not important that we have a national broadcaster that is not influenced by outside corporations? And aside from the political argument, which is a valid one, how um, you know do we not need a, a broadcaster that has editorial independence and can dictate its own terms in terms of what cover of what programming goes on, not just in terms of news content but also program content? Um, it's, I suppose it's in two parts and it's kind of around the same thing. First of all, what's the what's the matter with Syrian puppet art? <laughs> and the BBC Asian Network, I, a lot of people would argue that is not just for Asian communities, that is about social cohesion, that is about giving an ethnic minority a place within the overall cultural output of uh, the British Isles and just why that is seen as kind of in some way an argument against the BBC, whereas a lot of people would say that's an argument for. Thank you. And Joanne? Well, mine's going to be around that whole cultural thing. Oh, about the, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I picked up that one too. But just that whole, the, the, the diversity that is celebrated within the output of, you know, even here we've got BBC Ireland and we've got Irish language broadcast and you've got various different radio networks and we've also got then the regional outputs, BBC Scotland, BBC Wales, that whole, that ethos being lost. We've just seen local TV here being bought by our own, another channel been bought by elsewhere so where does that all become that it is being driven by the commercial thing and that cultural diversity that is in the output but even and the input uh, is to be celebrated thank you judges okay. right any order you want um, I'd first of all like to address the first question regarding advertising and having a national broadcasting influence that isn't sorry that isn't influenced by the government in any way but I'd just like to point out that the BBC did actually block a panorama documentary into um, systemic child abuse within the UK government and it wasn't until Channel 4 which is uh, on my as you know an advertising scheme as Mr um, Burns said yep, um, thank you for that um, so we do actually have government influence going on within the BBC it's not as if this is I mean this is essentially state controlled media the reason it was set up was so that we would have this fair and impartial news but I think I have it written here that in a poll of the Guardian which as we know is a left wing newspaper even the 63% people polled said that even they felt there was a strong left wing bias coming from it so over the recent migrant crisis so we it's not that it's uninfluenced it's definitely very influenced and either even reports been coming out of the BBC that there is definitely a heavy left wing bias so it's not this impartial creature that it used to be it's become this warped entity that really is skewing our vision in Britain today and what about the um, impact of the, the corporate fat cats that were men mentioned aside from political influence and how actually corporations may influence the editorial agenda if advertising is brought into the mix? Well, you see, this may be my right-wing bias, but I'm actually in favour of this because if you look at what's happening on ITV now, the X Factor is definitely falling down ratings. So what that's going to do is that's going to enforce people to try and come up with a new idea and a new way to progress further and then bring its views back up. Like I'm sure you remember Dancing on Ice was a huge hit for ITV. And what's going to come up now is the BBC are going to face problems with, as was mentioned, the Great British Bake Off and Strictly Come Dancing. Eventually they will go into decline. And what I don't want to see is my money that I spend for television being put into those to keep them, like, flogging a dead horse. I don't want to see that happen. I, at least with a, an advertisement-driven place, the corporate fat cats want more money, so at least they're going to want to try and produce better fruits for us. I mean, the American system has produced some... I'm not saying it's flawless by any means, but I am saying it has produced some excellent shows, such as Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones, the idea being that they make it the best for them because then obviously they're going to get more money out of it. I, I'm not sure that the Great British Bake Off is going to go into decline. <laughs> 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 I, 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 
I think one of the, the issues at the time of advertising is it would be suddenly sponsored by and product placement would appear and therefore it's actually, you know, it, it loses its editorial integrity. But then, with, but BBC does actually have product placement. Like, I'm not sure if you've listened to Radio 2 recently, but every now and again they tell you what they're drinking, what they're eating at this particular point in time. So product placement has wormed its way sneakily into the BBC mindset. So it's not as if they're being spo- funded solely by taxpayers. They are already getting advertisement money in there. And they get told off by Ofcom for that. Yes, they do, but they still do it, and that's the point. The BBC is no longer held accountable. It's being warped into this ad-paying entity anyway. So why are we paying money for it when it can easily do that? Do you want to move on to Robert John's question? Uh, yeah, I'm going to take that question. Uh, first of all, you mentioned my point on Syrian puppet art. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've seen any Syrian puppet art, Mr. Best, but uh, usually it doesn't look like it costs 3.6 million. The point was the cost. And, and I mean, as much as you may enjoy Syrian puppet art, it, it usually it should not be driven up to such a high cost. Uh, you also mentioned about BBC Asia uh, actually uh, creating a sense of kind of cultural unity. Uh, I would also point you uh, as well, uh, Mrs. Mahaffey, you've mentioned actually uh, separate uh, language, indigenous language radio stations. These are for cultural unity in these areas. These are not UK-wide cultural unity uh, radio stations. And as I've said, uh, the Six Points actually tries to emphasise cultural unity on a British basis. Uh, and now that we have come into the era of multiculturalism, undoubtedly we have. This is an outdated uh, point that the Six Points of the BBC licence fee uh, puts forward. Um, but on top of that, I would just like to add that if there is a market for it, which there clearly is, I mean, the BBC would have been challenged if it wasn't for that. Um, ITV and STV, that's that's local for Northern Ireland, local for Scotland, also have local prop programs like Lesser Spotted Ulster which feature people from the area and feature the culture from the area and the idea for us is that if there's an ad- advertisement paying area for that already and it's a successful model why then are the BBC trying to fill in this gap as well you know it's, equ- it's equally able to be done on an advertising scheme so why are our money going towards this whenever it really doesn't need to be Happy with those responses? Um, just uh, is there not something about more the message that it sends as a country? Is there not something about having a BBC Asian network? If that, if, if, if it's only the Asian community listening to it and then it is picked up by a commercial station or whatever commercial broadcaster, but then all of a sudden that doesn't become a, finan- a financially viable model. So then what do we do? So then there's nobody. I, my point is that broadcasting is about more than financial viable models. Yeah. I and do. So, you know, there needs to be more to it than that. It, it transcends that kind of commercial capitalist kind of argument. I think. Yeah, but uh, I think you are. I think you are talking again about multiculturalism. The fact is that the six points on which the BBC was based is uh, directly contradicts multiculturalism in calling it cultural unity, uh, as well as that. But it's, for, it's, it's, I don't want to get off the point, but. Can you explain the difference between cultural unity and multiculturalism? Um, The idea is that uh, multiculturalism explores and enjoys the diversity that different cultures can bring, whereas cultural unity is the idea of creating, like, I always like to imagine as having all these different coloured tints of paint, all these bright, wonderful colours. The idea is celebrating those colours for what they are 
I don't mean colours in terms of skin, but I mean like, like reds and yellows and blues and all that. <laughs> I would just like to point that out. And whenever we go into this cultural unit idea where we all have to have these British ideas and all these wonderful things, we just sort of pour it all into this soup and everything, all the colours and all the wonderful vibrancy of that goes away. So cultural unity is just sort of one big tin filled with it, whereas uh, multiculturalism is the idea of celebrating different ethnicities and their cultures together rather than combining them all together and saying we're proud of them all. Does that make sense? But as long as they're financially viable? It's not as long as they're financially viable, as I've said, with the uh, ideas that there are other shows as well. Um, the UTV also had a show on for the local areas in England at one point where it explored um, what it's like to be a Muslim living in Birmingham today, which obviously has quite a heavy Islamic population. And it was actually an insight not only to Islamic people who are around the rest of the UK and seeing this wonderful idea, but it's also showing British people that life is actually different to other people around the UK. So it actually explores that and it broadcasts it to the rest of it. And that's from not necessarily a commercial idea, but that's definitely from people at least wanting to inform you at some point. Okay. I'm going to move on from that to uh, questions for Froth and Passion, if you guys are ready. I'm going to start with Joanne this time, so you got your first bite of the apple in case someone steals your question okay. again. It might have been stuck at the top, but you mentioned you said tax, and then all of a sudden you went fee. So... <laughs> Oh, well, stuff the tongue. So, um, how would you say, obviously, you support the, the licence thing, but how do you reconcile that with that whole criminalisation of people who can't afford, who can't afford pay, or maybe don't want to pay to make the decision not to pay? Robbie? Um, I just, I take issue slightly with your idea that an abolition of the licence fee is an abolition of... The BBC. I'd like to know if you think there are any other viable models that aren't pure subscription-based or purely a license fee as we have it. Is there a middle ground? Um, you said that 94% of are on this of the population are on the side of the opposition because they willingly pay the license fee. I wonder how willingly we act, we actually pay the license fee. You know, are we willingly paying or are we institutionalized or are we scared of being thrown into an institution and being locked up for not paying it? Um, is it right that we should um, punish people um, that don't pay the license fee? Okay, social comments, any order you want. Um, so you were saying earlier about the abolition of the license fee is the abolition of BBC and you were uh, taking issue with my um, claim uh, of like the full abolition being the abolition of both. What I will say is that at the minute 98.98% of the BBC is funded by the license fee which is 2.365 million and there's not there's 30 million that ha- comes from the Open University from merchandising and from some small commercial interests in certain million in grandstand cases and a lot of money. So if we abolish the licence fee, which means as the proponents have defined tonight, it is total abolition, abolition of the licence fee, then that means you remove that 98.89% of the funding to the BBC. When an organisation gets that chunk of money removed, then the organisation will fail. Now, I've already addressed in my speech the viable alternatives, or the proposed viable alternatives, and I said that advertising isn't going to work because we're not injecting any more money into our country, into the businesses in our country. Um, Sinead represents businesses in uh, her job, and she'd understand that 
uh, they only have a certain amount of money that they can spend on these things. And if the BBC starts to compete with ITV, Channel 4 uh, and Channel 5 and any other commercial broadcasters, TV or radio, then the quality of all of them will go down because there's no magic pot of money that can fund them all. All of that money will be spread amongst them all and then the quality um, will decline. Okay, it was just... Uh, but do you think there's any middle ground between you? Do you think there's any... Well, based on, the, based on the definition of the proposition tonight, they don't leave us any room for um, the middle ground. Uh, they say that it's total abolition, so we have to be it on the terms of the proponents tonight, and that is total abolition. Now, when we go to Sinead's question, we are not against reforming the BPC licensing, and we understand that perhaps um, with the minimum wage... Uh, Mr. Brown said that the minimum wage people, the biggest majority of that 6% who go through the courts every year are people on the minimum wage. Now, we believe that there should be some payment plan or should be some way of making that instead of a yearly fee. Um, perhaps it can be um, looked at in some other way to reform it or look at a staging process of it, but complete abolition we're completely against. Also, um, on in the terms of Sinead's question, I, the word institutionalised you used, I don't, not that I, um, I just, I would say that it's not institutionalised as in the connotations of that being almost brainwashed or you being forced onto that belief that you must pay. I think that the BBC genuinely, I started out, it's the oldest broadcasting in the world. It's something that we've grown up with and that we genuinely accept as a representation of us, like I, I don't know if it's anecdotal, be it or not, but I know people who have been directly involved with the BBC, I've been involved in programmes that have been on the BBC, and it has been a part of my growing up in Britain, and it has been, it is a representation of the British people, we are paying for it through our licence fee, and it is something that the majority of people are willing to do. Are they willing? I believe so, because of what I've just said, look, it is something that is part of our life, and it is something that we that we feel that when we pay that fee, we have licence to, pardon the pun again, um, to have input on the BBC, and what is created, and what is, there's the reforms also, I was part of a focus group, and they're going to um, put more undiscovered talent and youth um, creation into some BBC channels and they are, I feel that people, even people growing up when, um, now will be more willing to pay that fee because they know that they are having direct input into what is being created. And I think it's what they're willing to pay the licence fee for. They're willing yeah. to pay the licence fee to ensure access to everyone. Whenever we introduce a subscription we say that only the people who can afford to pay the subscription are the people who deserve to have access to objective information. In a democracy, we cannot underestimate the value of objective information. Now, um, yeah, I know in some ways, some people would say, and that's why you know, people are conscientiously objecting to paying it. The people who so they're essentially, for one or another description, you could say it's a subscription page because as soon as you have a TV and you can plug in, you're saying, okay, you have to pay your license for 145 pounds. And, and whenever they pay the license, or the people. I do use um, an example of the 6%. We need to explore the 6% to the people who are actively unwilling to not pay the licence fee. Um, so then we need just to examine that. And there's a bigger proportion of Tory MPs who are unwilling to pay the licence fee than, uh, than many other sectors in the population. It's because 
what the government, both parties are across the sector in the government, they can agree that they all hate the BBC. Michael Gove, the Lord Chancellor, has now decided to decriminalise the TV licence because it doesn't reflect the interests of the Conservative Party in the best way possible because it has an object, an objectivity that they don't like because they analyse and they try and make the kind of give the challenge the assertions of the government. They challenge the assertions of the state, so it's like independent to a certain degree from the state as well. And that there's something that we should be willing to protect in order for ourselves. It's like a form of self-protection almost. So if people can't afford or don't want to watch the BBC, can we not just block the TV signal and they don't get it? Um, perhaps it's an alternative, but it's better in, in to, to solve the causes of that problem. So if they can't afford, we need to look at that. And that's Sorsha and I are saying that we are not against reforming the BBC. The proponents haven't given us the space for that tonight, so we have to oppose their total abolition. So we are for a, a reform of the BBC in making the BBC a bit more flexible. In uh, December 2016, the charter has to be renewed. We are for the conversation. Sorsha has been involved in the focus group. We are all for the conversation about renewing the BBC, fit for the 21st century. And just to pick up on something that they uh, said about this British values, British values are now multicultural values, and the BBC, through the Asian network and through so many different programmes and uh, money that's been invested in all these, make sure that that cultural identity and that cultural identity that they have to creatively uh, produce to the country, they are making sure that's a multicultural identity, and so the lines are becoming are becoming uh, it's, the scale is calibrated more towards multiculturalism, and rightly so. Okay, that just happened. Probably move out to the audience now. Um, because this hasn't happened yet this evening because there are two mock debates, we're going to get some questions from the audience and then I'm going to let teams loose at each other. So you're going to have to think of the killer question that you really want to put to the other team. Um, so we're going to take some questions, um, have a bit of crossfire, and then go back out before your summations. So I'm sure we've got some questions from the floor. I hope we've got some questions on the floor. <laughs> you were full of questions earlier, guys. <laughs> What's happened? Anybody? Joel? Um, I'd like to ask both teams kind of a, to address what they think of broadcasters aren't just um, you know, place channels that you flick through. They're also, in some way, agenda setters. They set an agenda. And the tone on the kind of pro-BBC side, I mean, you're saying that the BBC doesn't set an agenda wrong sometimes in any way. Think of um, the Jimmy Savile scandals, think of uh, numerous occasions that have now weighed up and have completely, completely transformed programmes like Newsnight because the BBC just got their line on things wrong. I mean, why are we funding a, a, an institution that has less trust in it now than has ever had before? Uh, isn't there something problematic about you know, the state sponsoring a lot, someone's line, any line, to set an agenda about various things that maybe we should think about more carefully in the 21st century. And then on the other side, I mean, you have the, exactly the opposite problem, which is that we go to the BBC for everything. It's really authoritative. And, you know, how do you... What's the, where do we go without a BBC to look at to find out, you know, what the scoop is on... Russia's latest dodgy dealing, you know, the, the measure of what people are, are and aren't prepared to accept is or isn't happening in the world, is often whether or not it's on the BBC homepage, like that's quite a serious thing. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I'm gonna try and squeeze some more questions out of you guys. Yay, Oscar Ma. Um, can you give your name just for the judges and best individual? Yeah, Laura. Cost and passion, you must have something you want to say to us, for man. Um, yeah. <laughs> Name? Lisa, yeah, sure. Um, as I said, the license fee is hard at the BBC, and then what then? What does the proposition propose the BBC to do if we abolish this rather than turn into advertising? Okay, I'm not going to squeeze you anymore. I'll let you deal with those. Um, you've got two questions each, basically. I'm going to go to um, Royal School first, so if you want to come back to uh, your questions. Uh, may I just address very quickly one of the points put to us about, uh, say, if a new story's on the BBC News homepage, it's seen as a big story. There are alternative news outlets absolutely readily available. In fact, Channel 4 News actually, as a commercially run company, has some of those in-depth and, uh, and important news stories uh, in, the, in the BBC um, in the British uh, kind of media, uh, as well as that internet news. Uh, you know, there's the Huffington Post or Slate or any number of media outlets that you can get now information from. And I think uh, that that, uh, instead of a BBC News uh, outlet that con- seems to control everything, is what we already have. Um, so I'd like to pick up on Leisha's point. Um, the alternative is if we don't go down the advertising way that we instead do what we did with Royal Mail which is where we float on the stock market and get individual and private buyers to buy into it but for us that's a very dodgy way to go because sometimes people don't want to give away shares where at least with advertisements we have people who are vying for competition and vying to be able to change the network for however they want and though that is sometimes dangerous at least that gives us variety across the board whereas if we float it on um, stock market you know people who get large shares early on will be reluctant to give them up unless they get insane amounts of money off of it, which really does call into question. I mean, the BBC is already essentially run by the government, and as I've said, it already um, it blocked the Panorama report into, into looking into the government's child sex abuse scandal, which was actually under the, the Labour government, not the, these evil Conservatives that Mr Burns keeps going on about. Um, <laughs> sorry, just to point facts in your face, but that's that. Um, so I would definitely say that advertisements are the safer way to go in this instance, rather than what we've done with Royal Mail, where... You know, the Royal Mail doesn't have a political influence, but the BBC certainly do, and that's why it's important that we have fair competition to be able to have all sides represented. Okay, going to let Cross and Passion answer their questions. Be thinking about your main question for yep. Cross and yep. Passion. I'll be back to you. Thank you. So I'll go to Joel's question first. Um, you talked about the agenda setters and setting the tone for the country, and I understand, as the BBC held their hands up afterwards, that the Savile scandal was a massive mistake, not only in letting the Savile scandal go on unnoticed in the 30 years, which is actually not only Conservative government, or Labour governments, but Conservative governments as well. That happened over 30 years, and that was a massive mistake of the BBC. Now, should that scandal lead to the abolition of the, um, should lead to the abolition of the licence fee? Well, 50% of the country think not, because post-Savile scandal, over 50% of the country still believe and have full trust in the BBC and in the mechanisms that the BBC changed after um, the Savile scandal. And if we look at this from a point of perspective, only 24% of the UK population voted Conservative 
in the general election in May, they, that means that 24% of the population said, I trust you to run our country. M double, more than double that are saying, we trust you to be the public service broadcaster, and that there is an endorsement uh, for the BBC in this end. And then for myself to answer uh, Laura's question. Um, I do stand by what I said in that we do need these educational provisions and if we do not have the, um, if we, BBC, the BBC programmes and educational programmes are still used in schools today, that we still use resources that are, and I, do, I stand by that as well, that resources that are created by the BBC, uh, snippets of programmes, uh, documentaries are used in schools today and if we do not have, as myself and Connell have been saying, we, if we do not have the licence fee, we do not have a complete BBC, so these I, albeit they are probably not watched today on people on children's sick days, but these things that we did, they have evolved into the services that people would use now. A child going on the internet onto maybe BBC Bite Size or the new or BBC News that has evolved from the programmes that we used to watch when we were little, or I did anyway. Um, and if we don't have this evolution, and if we don't maintain this evolution, then that essential um, service will be gone. And also, the fact is that the BBC have an authoritative voice in 21st century and in the internet age where we have the Huffington Post and Internet News and Channel 4, the BBC is one of these, is a factual based organisation that isn't one of the 100 billionized or 100 personal, 100 billion personalised trusts that we have. If the problem with society today and the problem with the age of the internet and society's kind of flirtatious idea with the internet is that every single thing posted on there um, seems to have the same legitimacy. And what the BBC gives us is an authority in whenever we are researching. It, it, the internet is the white bread for the mind, if you like, today, and the BBC is something that is far more nutritious for our brains and everything like that. Oh, I love that analogy. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to ask Ross Glormal, what is your killer question to cross the passion? Um, okay, you keep using this 20, these 2013 statistics on how many people actually support the BBC license fee, except for our research we found that in 2015, in May this year, it was actually, what is it, 61.67% voted for the removal of the license fee altogether. Only 28.82% supported the current model in its entirety. So I'd like to ask you, how do you justify using outdated statistics to try and back up your claims whenever the more up-to-date model of the BBC post all these scandals is actually dead set against it and this is a poll of about five and a half thousand people so it's certainly representative of the widespread society of Britain today so um, a poll of five and a half thousand people I think we learned from the general election that pollsters get it wrong and whenever uh, the 2013 statistics the uh, quanti or the size of the sample was bigger in 2013 now in 2015 they weren't able to conduct that same sample I understand that in that four and a half thousand people there were um, there were people 61% wanted the licence fee gone, but the polls can get it wrong. And also we need to move to the fact that if we want to have an honest conversation of the licence fee, let's not say we want total abolition because we say so, because Michael Gove decides that he wants to decriminalise it. Let's put it to a referendum and let's see where people want, or, or what David Cameron is doing in Europe, to say we will campaign for a reformed BBC instead of the abolition of the licence fee, and thus the abolition of the BBC. Yeah, where you go? Well, what I'd like to respond to that is with uh, the idea that this is certainly a representative sample. This was definitely done on 
a lot of the online media players, which is where definitely everything's moving on to anyway. It's going less on TV and more on things like iPlayer, 4OD, UTV player, all that. So this is the idea of new people coming through. This is the idea of the next generation who are already clued in, who watch things on their smart TVs online, who watch things on their tablets, who watch things on their laptops. So I definitely think that that is definitely something to look at for the future, considering these are the people who will be leading or who will be coming through to our country in the years to come. So this is a... This is more a representation of perhaps probably more younger people. And this is their views on society. And also I'd like to say, if it says here that 61.67% of people voted for the removal of the license fee altogether, how in your conscience as the UK as a democratic country can you say that's not the will of the people? Because that is a poll and that's not the will of the people. Because that is, if we think 4,500 people, there are 60-something, 64 plus million people in the UK. I mean, 4,500 people is tiny in compared to 64 million. Now, I understand that not even, there's not going to be 100% turnout at referendum. So let's talk about 30 million electorate or 28, 24 million electorate. Electric, that's a lot, lot more than the four and a half thousand people in that poll. Okay, I just like, sorry, just come back on that. You were talking about how the pollsters got it wrong. For the general election, you're right, they did get it wrong, but they got it wrong by 3% each way. This was not an absolutely huge landslide where they just didn't predict anything. And I have to say that I think if forty, if the, the swing between the 10% is a bit too extreme even for you just to just blame pollsters, I can't accept it. Like, you need to accept that these are the figures and these are the most up-to-date figures we have on BBC Licence Fee. And Mr Burns, you seem very set on rallying against polls. You yourself are using polls for your steam statistics. <laughs> using right. polls. So give your question at the end of this as well. You can respond and then give your question. <laughs> there was a phrase I came across when I was doing my research, which I very much enjoyed, it, techno-determinism. We need, uh, basically, just because digital, digital technology changes and we are using the internet more, which is rightly so, doesn't make it possible, doesn't mean that the BBC and the services it provides are inevitably need to be destroyed. I, BBC iPlayer, it's miles ahead of 4OD. It's award-winning program or award-winning um, um, website, and we are miles ahead. 4OD, ITV Player, Demand Five. We are f- functional. Its functionality and the support that it provides as a service of a branch of the BBC is groundbreaking. And if we get rid of the BBC, we ultimately deplete the value of that, which is a service widely used. And the license fee hasn't been er, hasn't been able to empower the BBC. To go forward. The BBC is not this outdated uh, model of in the 21st century. The BBC is uh, the lead partner in a cross um, industry or in a cross industry um, camp or not in cross industry campaign in a cross uh, industry um, in a cross industry party or in a cross industry grouping uh, to have 4K uh, HD TV and BBC before Channel 4 ITV and. Uh, Channel 5 will have 4K HD for its people so it is investing in its uh, people, it is investing in the quality of its service What's your question, Cross and Passion Okay Um, Our question is is um, how can we why would we just try to abolish something that has worked for 90 years, there has been a few there has been a scandal, the BBC has put the measures in place to recover from that scandal there are some polls, but why would we leave something that has steadfastly given us support over the last 90 years? Okay, uh, first of all, I'd like to respond to Miss Hughes' point, where she was talking about, I mean, your whole speech is centred definitely around very much that BBC is there for the education of the masses, this sort of socialist dream where the whole nation gets better, except BBC player removes its documentaries after 30 days, 
and 4OD holds all of its documentaries on there for the whole time. And often you'll find that 4OD takes the documentaries that no one else wants to touch. I mean, it's definitely gone very in-depth into the Iraq war, which no one else wants to touch because it's definitely a very almost a controversial issue. So I, just like the, I just don't really understand your logic behind it. If you want this idea of mass education for everyone, while you're then dismissing 4OD as lesser and hasn't won all these awards, when it's actually holding more educational programs than the BBC iPlayer is currently at this point in time. Um, you want to respond to the question, first of all? Uh, yes, I'd like to respond to Mr Burns' question. Uh, you seem to be stuck in the streamland of 90 years ago. Mr Burns, the world has changed so much in 90 years. We've seen, I think I mentioned the word globalisation, uh, we've seen the rise of internet media, we've seen media vastly change, I, and I think it is an outdated principle if you're looking back for uh, it as just some kind of tradition that we should always keep. Is that okay? Um, am I really? Yeah. Um, there's a word that I've used a lot during this debate that seems to have been a bit glossed over, which is evolution. I've used it constantly, I feel like I'm using it too much almost, but the BBC has evolved we know that and it has created these extra services and so i feel like i'm saying it for the hundredth time but i feel it's an important point the without the bbc being having created 90 years ago and catering to the needs of those people at that time has now evolved and created services which cater to our needs at this time um certainly you're right the bbc should definitely evolve and that's why we're opposing the abolition of the license fee it has evolved and uh, you seem to like not recognise the fact that they are leading in the 4K um, in the 4K HD uh, initiative. They are leading in terms of internet players. They, uh, the BBC iPlayer and the BBC World Service. You talked about globalisation, Mr Weir. Well, a quarter of a billion people use the BBC every week. If that is not globalisation, then I do not know what is globalisation <laughs> because the BBC serves the world. It is our is the thing that we can best export across the whole entire world, and it's something that we should be proud of. Okay, can I just come back? You've said um, the BBC is something that is part of the world. It's this sort of worldly notion, except you're also going on your 4K screens point. And I'd just like to point out, currently they're sitting around £3,000 to buy and for me, that really isn't for the world. That's for the rich upper classes who can afford to spend £3,000 on a TV screen. And I it's not. I missed the point. Uh, the 4K HD is not to the quarter of a billion people. The BBC service, which you say is outdated and outmoded, is still used by a quarter of a billion uh, people in the world. The biggest broadcaster in the world, used by more people than anyone else. Okay, I'm going to put a okay. pin in it okay. there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Put, it, put it all in your summation. I know <laughs> I went way over there, but I just think I, I like this bit. I think it's good that you get it all out of your system. It's very cathartic. Um, are there any burning audience questions? I didn't think there would be. <laughs> Thanks for asking some when Joel was in the room. I was like, guys, come on. So that means that we're going to go uh, straight into summation. So anything that you don't think you said there, any points that you don't think were addressed, then bring them out now. Try and respond to what the other team said. Again, you're going to have a minute to sum up your key arguments, um, and I'm going to knock the table at 30 seconds so you know how long you've got left. So we'll go in the order we've spoken. So Callum from Raw School, or Math, you want to go first? Thank you. Uh, let me pose a question to the opposition. ITV has the Rugby World Cup. It has, was broadcasted every single game without having to pay for it uh, in the same way that the BBC does off of the backs of the British taxpayer. Isn't there a better alternative to this? Mr Burns also seems to like to enjoy uh, talking about the fact that a quarter of a billion people watch the BBC. Well, a quarter of a billion people watch the BBC America. BBC America is a commercially funded and privatised company. 
let me pose you all a question to finish. What was the last piece of great drama the BBC has produced? Any answer is almost certain to be a rehash of a rehash of a rehash. The fact is that we are not paying for innovative TV. This does not just extend to drama, however. Staples of British TV, such as the aforementioned Great British Bake Off <laughs> and Strictly Come Dancing, are based on commercially successive, successful American programmes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure Simon's going to pick up where you left off and mm-hmm. complete the, the, mm-hmm. the stage. Um, okay, Cross and Passion, Sorsha, final word. Ladies and gentlemen, we have heard much tonight about fairness, transparency, cultural awareness and social um, cohesion in our multicultural society. I would like to thank the proposition for their words. They have gifted us a perfect moniker for a publicly funded BBC. Privatisation has its place, but it's done little for the railways, the NHS, education and utilities. ITV, which is not the envy of the world, and Sky, which is a state-sanctioned sports monopoly, do little to convince us to ring the death knell for the licence fee. Ladies and gentlemen, the BBC upholds genuine British values at home and offers great PR for our country overseas. We achieve this PR, Mr Brown, without having to resort to a BBC that can be bought. We enjoy, whether we realise it or not, a BBC which can inform all of us, objectively and clearly, helping to shape the future of Britain. The BBC is one of the few British institutions that seems to embrace a multicultural society and show how it can work. Abolishing the licence fee will be the death knell for the BBC. It is that black and white. We merely need to look at the motion to prove this. A death knell that I'm sure no one will be willing to bring. Thank you. Okay, final word for the proposition goes to Simon. Okay. First of all, I'd love to say that this idea of evolution is absolutely fantastic and you are so right with evolution because 90% of the British public watched the BBC Olympics in 2012 on their televisions through BBC. And I think that is fantastic. However, BBC are now losing this, which means they will have to come up with either a lot of money, which won't be able to be afforded by the licence fee, or they'll have to evolve into a better model and a more commercially substantive model. I'd also like to go on that you've talked about how the BBC exports to the world and the world comes to the BBC. That's definitely one of their one, that's one of the five talents that they've started out and they want to stick to. Except that the only BBC that's actually paid for by licence fee is the one in Britain. Any other subsidiaries of the BBC are all commercially privatised, which definitely shows us that with all the new ones that come in from BBC Americas as well as the ones from Asia as well, like all those wonderful documentaries in the, the Borneo and the Amazon, all those wonderful things that we love to see on our TVs, That's all commercially funded. So I really don't understand why we need this archaic system in place anymore. Thank you. Well well done, Royal School. And final word of the whole debate goes to Colin. The BBC is the best British. It's one of the last remaining organisations where we can punch above our weight on the world stage. It's one of the last remaining areas of British society which is protected from free market fundamentalists. It's one of the last remaining institutions of which we can be proud. The BBC punctuates our day from breakfast to news night, making us more informed, more assured and more confident in ourselves. The Great British Break Off Mr Wade, a prime time cooking TV show. Where else in the world would that happen? Who else would take the courage to do that first? Only the best, only the BBC. Before we abolish the licence fee, let's think of what we get for our money. 
eight top-class national TV stations, 15 national radio stations, an instant play-by-play player, a red button, 20,000 jobs, and a world service funded by the licence fee because 30 million in commercial interest will not fund the world service. We are right to celebrate the beep. Thank you. I regret bringing the bank off. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, so a massive well done to both schools. I've done debates at a regional, at a qualifying, and at a national level, and that would have been a worthy national final. I think both schools have put so much effort in, and whoever goes through will be a worthy credit to Northern Ireland in the Scottish final. So massive well done to both schools. Side. We're now going to go um, to judges. If you just give, um, we're going to do feedback for each side, and I'm going to ask them to leave and deliberate, and then we'll come back and find out who's won. So we'll start off with Sinead, and we'll start off with um, Bosco and Ma for feedback. Um, I have to say, and to state my own personal interest, I'm pro BBC. So okay. you did a brilliant job in actually convincing me the other way. I thought your arguments were reasoned and informed. Um, you were confident. Yeah, conversational when you needed to be, and I think the real skill you showed is how you listened to the other side and actually posed questions then that were relevant and and pointed. Um, and I, I think you should be commended for that. Um, you're both very confident speakers. I wish I had that confidence when <laughs> I was your age. Um, now, at times, even. So um, I think you should be very proud of the performance that you, you did. Um, very strong delivery and... Um, I think the fact that you you knew the subject matter and you were passionate about it. I don't know if it's actually your stance, but I believed you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay um, yeah, I would say the same in terms of your presentation and your and getting the message out there. I thought it was very good. I thought you were maybe slightly over reliant on statistics, and I think that. I think both teams suffered from this a little bit. I think that you both came at it from an ideological standpoint and that was your point of view and every argument flew, kind of flowed from that. So I think that both teams just show a slightly more rounded, nuanced view. Taking in kind of more strains of thought I think would be would be better. Um, but other than that, yeah, really funny and engaging and kind of very... Again, I didn't agree with the word you were saying, but I didn't hate you for it. Which is very, um, Thank you very much. So Thank you. Know. You got feedback. Thank you. You're probably on that side. I yeah. just... <laughs> <coughs> if I'd been in the pool, I'd have been <laughs> But again, yeah, very confident, and particularly Simon at the start, you came out with no real notes. I mean, I know they were there, but you didn't really look at them at the start. You were just, and you didn't feel impassioned that he, he really believes what it maybe do. <laughs> but again, both of you very confident and definitely decided who was taking which argument or who was going to come back on which point. So you sort of knew who was going to be taking which argument. And I think we're very good about coming back when we picked up on the Asian network because that was the one thing. It was like, right, let's jump on that. But yeah, no, I thought you both did very well. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank said. you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Right, now across the passion, uh, we'll close all the way down the lines to draw us not to say, okay, I think the BBC should actually be, when you, I mean, I did, when you, when you first spoke, I'm like, what <laughs> <laughs> um, Maybe that was probably biased on my part too, because I was probably already on your side of the argument, maybe, but I do definitely think at the start
you definitely had a passion and a real energy in your arguments that you believed this and you were very articulate in how you put forth the argument. On both teams, you were pretty unflappable when you were coming back with each other, which was good. There was no defence there. You were confident in coming back with good reposts, no matter what either the audience or each other came at. But yeah, no, both of you excellent in your delivery and articulate, confident, definitely. There's a lot to be learned from it. Um, yes, again, it was, as I said, but I wouldn't repeat the kind of ideological thing. I think that there's maybe, where they were maybe too reliant on statistics, I felt that you kind of hammered away at the kind of, the, which I would say is the biggest flaw in the BBC, is the kind of political objectivity and the kind of news service. They maybe didn't give you the, the room in order to go for that nuance, and I maybe should have said about you guys, I think a major flaw was setting out such a kind of absolute position at the very start. I think allowing nuance would give you a lot more room. You could make the same points, but you would have a little more room for manoeuvre. I thought you guys were a really good team. It was kind of like the head and the heart a lot of <laughs> But not to say that you weren't in any way substantive or you weren't passionate, but it kind of like, I thought that, um, that worked really well. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, um, I would agree with that. I think you complemented each other really well and that you had clearly worked together in, in, in forming your response. Um, I really believed you, you know, I mean, I think, Conleth, you could get a job in PR for the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind for that. Um, I think... Um, you were both very. You both sat out the stall from the beginning, and you didn't drop your position. And you were um, engaging in the in the in the questions section. Um, so I would just say maybe the notes I think hindered you a little bit just in the in the questions and the rebuttals. But I mean that's something I find with public speaking. Actually, I'm if I have notes in front of me, it just throws me off. Um, but it's too many notes. I mean, obviously, you need you need your key points, but I thought overall you were both fantastic. Um, I thought that um, you maybe um, the, I think the statistics, as has been mentioned, played a bit too much of a role in the discussion. Mm -hmm. But I certainly got the passion about the argument coming from you, and I felt that you know very strongly that this is a, a case that how can there possibly be an argument here? Mm -hmm. you know, so, well done. Okay, well, thank you very much to our judges for their feedback. So I'm now going to ask you guys to leave um, and come back eventually um, and think of a winning team and also a best individual. I'll come in in a minute and give you Rochelle and, uh, and Sally's thoughts on who best individual should be. So um, I think the room that we ate in should be free. Um, if yeah. And then, uh, oh, they're leaving. The yeah, we're staying. down here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave. Yeah. Just too calm. Too nervous. Um, yeah, and just uh, give us a shout whenever you're ready to announce the winner.
over to you. If you want to see best individual first, and then uh, some reasons for your answer, and, uh, and the winner. Okay, so it was quite hard because Jackie as well. Maybe there wasn't that much time to but everybody really only got to ask one real question. So we also took into consideration then how you performed with when questions were asked to you. So it's not only how did you ask the questions what sort of questions you asked, but how did you react when asked some questions? So we narrowed it down to three, <laughs> but at the end of the day, we decided Orla from So um, I think firstly just to say that it was so close and we were really impressed by both schools. We thought you were fantastic and um, as I said earlier if I had your level of passion and ability to speak in public when I was your age it just I think you've all got very bright features ahead of you. Um, in the end we felt that it came down to the summations um, and we were very um, impressed throughout the throughout the whole process but we felt that one school had the slight edge and, and that we were um, compelled, <laughs> compelled to believe that side of the argument, and um, we have decided that the winners are. Fantastic, well done to Cross and Passion. Um, have a great time in Glasgow. I will hopefully well see you there. Well yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, absolute commiserations to Royal School Armagh. You could have such a strong showing. You could have gone the whole way. And again, it was so close. I can attest to the fact the judges were fighting a bit out over it because <laughs> it, it was really that close. And I wish you all the best in your other debating competitions. And please come back next year. And go to Scotland and show the Scots and the English how it is and a uh, big thanks to all the judges for giving up their time to come and uh, give the teams a really good run for their money and we couldn't do it without them so thank you very much Thank you to being our sponsor, the Welcome Trust. Everyone support the fabulous people who give us money. Um, and, and Queen's and the Literific Society for putting us up today. So once again, massive commiserations to Royal Schools. Such a good show and, and well done to Cross and Passion. Congratulations. Judges want to come for a drink? I think that's one. Do you need one after that? Yeah. <laughs> I think we're taking one before.